You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. With downloads approaching the million mark, and an archival library numbering in the thousands, the Yeshiva of Newark podcast has been striving to continuously upgrade our content, professionalize our audio sound, along with altering approaches in light of much-appreciated listener feedback. I firmly believe that a niche has been carved out that resonates with many on the wide spectrum of observant Jews. This explains why we continually rank high in independent online lists of top yeshiva podcasts. That proud edifice is in real danger of toppling and disappearing. We need the help of our listeners to continue to record and edit to promote a product that has been a balm and instructor to so many. Just $36 as a minimum donation from a thousand of you out there will keep us afloat as a new arc of straight, intelligent, humorous discussion, lectures, debate, and inquiry, while the destructive waters of ignorance and identity politics, cyberbullying crash around us. Your generous contributions will seal and galvanize this arc till it comes to a satisfying rest in an era of Moyard's day Heralding Mashiach, Mehera, Biamenu, Amen. And now, Emeritus Rex. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Popko. First of all, let me just crow a little bit uh, today. Didn't I say, uh, Rabbi, don't bet against Mahomes? Usually we speak about Cote St. Luke and Montreal and, 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 and the great Montreal Jewish community. Uh, Toronto's community was in the headlines this week. There was a protest that was held outside of Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, which is a cancer center and one of the premier hospitals uh, in the Toronto area. And the protesters not only gathered in front of the building and blocked people from entering and, 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 and perhaps even ambulances from arriving, but they climbed up somehow, they climbed up into an, uh, uh, on the scale, the side of the building, and somebody waving the Palestinian flag. And all of this uh, generated, I think, a pretty unified response from Justin Trudeau d- down, uh, condemning these these actions as being anti-Semitic. Right. So, so here's the thing. Here's the, what, what's happened is the following, is that for years we were lectured, harangued, and told that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. There's a war going on uh, in response to October 7th. and demonstrators in Toronto chose to go to a, a hospital with a Jewish name rather than, I don't know, they could have gone to the Israeli consulate. Yet they claim they're only anti-Zionist, not anti-Semitic. I, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, they're just, they seem intent on proving uh, every uh, uh, suspicion or accusation level against them. Uh, by the way, it's not the first time uh, they've gone to a hospital. In New York, they went to Sloan Kettering. I think their justification was that Sloan Kettering has, you know, like many a lot of Jewish. Stores. I think Sloan Kettering has a lot of Jewish donors. I think that was the idea. No, no, right? I think I thought the issue was their relationship with Israeli hospitals. But whatever it is, I mean, everything they do by shooting at uh, Jewish schools in Montreal, firebombing Jewish institutions, targeting kosher restaurants, as they do in New York or, or, or you know, it's, in Philadelphia, it's clear that, uh, you know, they no longer pretend that they're not anti-Semitic. The pretense is is over. However, uh, listen, so Trudeau reacted well. He called it anti-Semitic. But at this moment, and, and Trudeau 
I think, more flagrantly than Biden. At this moment, both the Canadian prime minister and the American president are, are trying to, you know, do a balancing act. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy because Biden has been wonderfully supportive of Israel in many ways, yet, yet, they're trying to balance that. They uh, uh, announced sanctions against four uh, uh, people living in uh, Judea and Samaria for their anti-Arab uh, violence, apparently. Isn't that weird that um, an American president should comment about what unruly citizens are doing in a different country? And, and So what does that mean? If those people come to America, they're going to be arrested? What does uh, that of mean? Of course it's weird. This is... It means their fi- the finances have been frozen. It, it, it's a difficult. It, it's difficult what, what what was done to them. But again, Israel prostitutes, and it is horrendously evil for Israelis to to attack uh, you know uh, uh, Palestinian civilians. So there's no question. However, uh, Israel prostitutes. Israel's not a country that lets these things go. Uh, also, the violence. Oh, there was an unfortunate incident this week, but over the last several months, the violence has in fact dropped in, in, in the West Bank against uh, the Arabs living there. But this is all a way for Biden to throw a bone to the critics of his pro-Israel stance. They're now talking about ensuring that uh, weapons sent aren't used uh, to Israel, aren't, aren't used in human rights, viol- uh, in a way that violates human rights. They sent this again, Representative to Dearborn, to reassure privately that... Uh, uh, of, of their solidarity with Arab Americans. But more than that, I mean, uh, it was supposed to be a private meeting. Uh, a recording of it was leaked where a representative of the Biden administration expressed regret for the mistakes they had made in being excessively in the pro-Israel camp early on in the conflict. I mean, we're, you're, you're seeing a, you know, a significant uptick in the balancing act. So in Canada also, what you have and again, I, I don't want to discount the enormous support America's given, both rhetorically at the UN, shipping of weapons. There's been a lot of support. And again, balancing all the negatives I mentioned, the sanctions against the settlers, uh, the, the private meeting with Arab Americans in Michigan, the talk about, you know, how, about restricting how Israel uh, uses its weapons. I mean, John Kirby, the uh, the spokesman, says this week again, America is in support of Israel destroying Hamas. I mean, so, you know, there's a balancing act going on. But but I think I, I think in Toronto, what the message you heard from the mayor and all everyone was that this should be above politics. This has nothing to do with Israel. This is an egregious act of anti-Semitism. No, but again, Trudeau, Trudeau has, a, has a balancing act. At this point, as as many have made clear, uh, that Trudeau, through his balancing act, has alienated both the Jewish and the Muslim communities of, of, of Canada. The Muslims are angry that he's been as pro-Israel as he's been, and the Jewish community is very angry at how critical of Israel he has been. He has lost both constituencies, both. As someone who cares deeply about Israel, I will tell you that uh, Trudeau at the outset was, was pretty good. But again, on the, on the Shifa hospital thing, it took him days to backtrack on what was a veiled accusation against Israel. Uh, the vote at the UN calling for a ceasefire was a disaster. Uh, there have been, um, uh, you know, the, uh, there, there's ample cause for concern in the Jewish community. But because he supported, you know, you know, the incursion in, into Gaza and, and the eradication of Hamas, and, you know, he, he does, uh, you know, he doesn't get any great points in the Muslim community either. He's lost both communities. 
Uh, also, listen, the dynamic in Canada is radically different than the U.S. In the U.S., uh, Jews still outnumber Muslims. In Canada, we are outnumbered four to one. So anybody making a raw, cold political uh, uh, you know, analysis uh, and, and is worried about one thing and one thing only, which is votes, uh, the Jewish community will lose out in that in, in that contest. There's no question. It, interesting that, you know, the Canadians, Canada became a haven uh, for so many uh, Muslim families who have right. built, who have built up themselves, I think, in a very wealthy way. The, the Muslims in Canada are living pretty well. Yes, and listen, in Montreal, we have, I believe, 300,000 Muslims, maybe 90,000 Jews. And if you count how many people show up at these demonstrations versus their population, you understand that the hardcore radical activists aren't a majority of their community. But what's going on there is a uh, attempts to intimidate moderate Muslims to uh, be more uh, forceful in their rejection of uh, of any kind of support for Israel. Toronto has has been the uh, the focus recently because in Toronto you had the demonstration as you mentioned about Sinai. You also had a lot of demonstrations that were focused on a Jewish owned bookstores. Uh, in downtown Toronto, because the owners of that bookstore are major donors to Israel and to the Jewish community in Toronto. But you've had, again, street demonstrations blocking a road, a highway near the Jewish community that went on for many weeks until the police finally shut it down. Uh, Montreal had its problems with, uh, you know, three incidents of shootings at empty Jewish school buildings overnight and two fire bombings. So, you know, you, you had problems in, in both big cities. What's interesting about Montreal is that the Quebecois are a little more likely to be vocal in their anti-Muslim positions. What I mean by that is Quebec is a very anti-religious place. Not anti, I'm not talking about what they think about Jews or Muslims, they're just anti-religious because of the church domination until the 1960s. And they see hijab-clad women or even Hasidic Jews as an attempt to... uh, draw Quebec back to its darker past. And they see themselves as being liberated from the constraints of religion. And the Quebec government has been very forceful, more than any other provincial government, against these Palestinian demonstrations, against the radical imam who spoke in downtown Montreal, uh, where he called for the murder of Jews. They've been very forceful. Again, I don't want to speak too soon, but it seems to me my impression is that uh, they've been read the riot act. The demonstrations are, are have significantly decreased in, in Montreal. In, in Quebec in general versus Ontario. I, I think Toronto's ascension in the 19th and 20th century as the major city of Canada, uh, I think it rubbed a lot of the the Montreal natives uh, the wrong way. Uh, there was a sense that Toronto was just a, a pale imitation of U.S. Mentality, whereas Montreal and Quebec uh, were more the the real Canadian uh, spirit. What you just said is a reflection of a reality that's a little outdated, with all respect. At this point, it's a given. Toronto is the business and political capital uh, of Canada. The ascension of the separatist sentiment as hostile to Anglophone and Jewish interests and left. Montreal experienced a little bit of a. Of, of a growth despite the clamps that were put on it by the Quebec government. But you got to admit, 
I mean, again, you you were a rabbi in sort of a suburb of Toronto for a while. I visited you there, remember, in Oshawa. Um, yeah, many years. Yes, but I mean, Toronto, I've said this often, had there not been the New York megapolis type of uh, area here, Toronto with its jewelry would be the would be the crown of North American Jewish life. Well, again, numerically not. I mean, it's about there's probably three times as many Jews today in Toronto as are in Montreal. And institutionally, it's it's you know it's very well organized. That's what I mean. But American ex expats who move to Toronto are so happy, despite you know the the the, the high costs of, of 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 certain items, but the cleanliness and how organized uh, it, it's so easy to get around. We know how to clean our streets. Our snow removal is fantastic. We have great snow removal. I mean, you've never seen anything like it. It's unbelievably fantastic. But um, in general, well, Toronto's changed. It's but it's much more. You'll see many more immigrants in Toronto than you used to. But uh, you're right in terms of a uh, well cared for, especially in contrast to American cities, is well cared for a place. You know, it's uh, it's, it's remarkably impressive. And, yes. and, and the Jewish, although it's true, as you say, the Muslims still outnumber the Jews in, Tor- in Toronto. The Toronto Jewish community is 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 extremely vibrant and multifaceted from A to Z. It's, it's very different than uh, in the in Montreal. It's a you know it's a great community in Toronto, but they're they uh, suffer from much from a greater uh, d- division between the different groups between the Orthodox and the non-Orthodox. Montreal is a remarkably united community, uh, a beautifully united community. I would say more than any other community in North America. Uh, let me ask you a, a question: You probably aren't ready for. If you were given a chance at this point to to move, to go to Toronto, to be to have a synagogue like you have here, w- would you go? Never. I love Montreal. I mean, uh, listen, it, what is so fascinating, and many people have theories about this, why it is that two communities with relatively similar histories are so radically different in culture, because they really are. You know, some attribute it to external forces like the linguistic uh, issue in, in, in Quebec. Some refer to... Uh, countries of origin, Poland versus Hungary or whatever, is radically different. What I mean by that is institutionally, Montreal is an Orthodox city. Toronto traditionally, although much less so recently, is a conservative town. The big synagogues were conservative. That's changed uh, over the years with the general continent-wide decline of the conservative movement. But um, in Montreal, right this moment, we have, you know, Dozens of Orthodox synagogues, dozens and dozens, and uh, the conservatives have two synagogues. We, you know, Reform have one. I mean, there. I mean, you know, maybe calling them a fringe movement in Montreal is uh, is an overstatement, but it's it's close to the truth. Yeah, look uh, to me, you know, Montreal has a sort of a sylvan beauty that Toronto doesn't have. Toronto is just huge and spread out, and Montreal. Well, Montreal is very unique. Montreal is. A little bit of Europe. In the heart That's what of I'm saying. It has it has a character and a and a feel. You know, going up to Montreal, there's something there that uh, it, it sort of stirs you. And yeah, look, it's definitely easier to navigate the Toronto streets than it is Devimi and the small, you know, sort of like labyrinth of the roads in Montreal. But I could see why you would want to stay there. So, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, the key, to me, it's not about the architecture and the landscape. It's it's about the people. The people in Montreal 
are much more relaxed <laughs> than the people in Toronto. And uh, they're, they're just a more tolerant, accepting group of people, you know. You know, it's, it's in Toronto, it's all about what team you're on. Here, people don't care about that stuff. Uh, well, in, in, interesting look behind the scenes there. Uh, a, a look behind the scenes was actually granted to Robert Hur. I don't think it was so much behind the scenes uh, as they uh, determined from whether there was going to be prosecution for Biden for keeping the um, classified documents in such a in such a way and, and and handling them in such a cavalier manner. If Biden was man of honor, what he would say is. I'm completely mentally fit and therefore prosecute me. <laughs> what, what, what Robert Hur instead said was that the man is obviously elderly and has a, a poor uh, memory. He would therefore strike a sympathetic pose at any trial and therefore it would be futile to prosecute. Yes, yes, yes. He would be, you know, and, and, and basically he, he, in, in order to uh, buttress this argument, he mentioned how uh, how Biden didn't remember exactly when he was vice president, and he also couldn't remember the yard site of Bo's death. He's clearly suffered mental decline. In that press conference he had right afterwards, he didn't do himself any favors. Yes. He mixed up something else in that press conference. Listen, Trump has made mistakes also, but Trump strikes a much more vigorous, uh, physically vigorous pose. There's no question. Biden just looks frail. I'm saying when when I see him walking up Air Force One, you know, holding on barely to the you know to the to, to the guardrail, um, you really do see. I mean, I I was a a a, a Rava Machsher of a nursing home, and I every single day, you know, I I would say hello to those people, the same people walking in the same manner uh, that Biden does. Listen, eighty percent of Democrats think he's too old. I mean, this is not a secret now, and the only reason thing thing keeping him in power is Kamala Harris because, you know, normal in a normal situation, his closest friends, people who love him, right, people who, love, who care desperately about the, the Democratic Party would go to him in a nice way and say to him, you know, it's time to step aside, blah, blah, blah. But they can't do that because Kamala Harris is even less popular than he is, which is, you know, shockingly, <laughs> you know, so low degree of popularity. So the only... The way they get out of this is if Biden announces, you know, not now, but in a few months, that he's stepping aside and he frees his delegates at the Chicago convention to do what they want. And it becomes an old fashioned, you know, drag out fight at the convention between people like, I don't know, Gavin Newsom and Gretchen Whitmer, who, you know, who knows, which might be very interesting and ultimately good for the Democratic Party. A healthy thing, and they would, you know, rally around the final uh, nominee, and they put the Biden Harris, uh, you know, era behind. Using these dynamics that are basically part of the United States political landscape, I think one can get into a larger discussion about, you know, the the role of octogenarians and people uh, within society and, and recognizing differences. Obviously, longevity has increased, uh, but it's, it's still different depending on, on the person. And I think, you know, we could probably shine a light on, on many leaders and maybe even in the rabbinic world uh, when it comes to persons who seems to have uh, not necessarily have the reins uh, firmly in their hands, despite the fact that they have uh, an entourage of people behind them. Let's end today with uh, a, a, a matter that I 
brought up with you before we started recording, which is, you know, both of us really squirm when we read and hear the the intense criticism that is leveled against the Israeli government, against the IDF, against what the actions that 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 Israel is taking, the criticism that comes from within, the criticism that comes from uh, Israeli politicians, Israeli writers, uh, whether it's uh, from from the full spectrum, it bothers us. But we know that it is a uh, a free society in Russia. However, and this week. Uh, Boris Kargovitsky, who uh, his father was Ilya Kargovitsky, who has been a uh, uh, academic who has won various various prizes for his inventive writing on sociology and economics and and history, uh, he had been labeled a foreign uh, agent because of his anti-Soviet writing, and now uh, he has been sentenced to five years in prison for criticizing Russia in its war against Ukraine. And let's let's just relish that, that in Putin's Russia, you cannot vocalize criticism. You will be shut down and you will be sent off to some gulag. And and, and in Israel, of course, (laughs) you could say whatever you want. I mean, under Putin, Russia has reverted to becoming a completely authoritarian regime. It's sad that too many Americans on the right wing of the Republican Party have, have for a variety of reasons, decided to become, you know, almost supporters of Putin, either because of Biden's entanglements in Ukraine and the corruption allegations and all of that, or simply to be oppositional to what the Democrats want, or because they revere Putin as this avatar for standing up for white Christian civilization, whatever the reason is. You have people like Tucker Carlson and, and, and people in, in, in the House Senate who seem to fawn over him, who are who want to deny aid to Ukraine and what is probably the most important uh, uh, battle going on right now, and uh, and it's tragic. Yeah, a lot was made about Carlson's interview. I think it's you know, especially since he uh, it was under the aegis, I think, of his own network that he's starting. Right? <laughs> right? right. I mean, this is a throwback to Walter Duranty who, you know, the, the infamous Pulitzer Prize winner of the New York Times in the 1920s and 30s, I believe it was, uh, when he went to the Soviet Union and, I mean, was issuing false reports regularly that were published, unedited in the New York Times, praising the Soviet Union. And it was later revealed, of course, where his loyalties were. Look, look I, I, know you, I know you didn't listen to the full interview, but what, what was it that you were able to garner from... Tucker's he didn't ask interview. him about the brutality in Ukraine and ask him about the kidnapped children, didn't ask him any tough questions. Okay, well, I, I am not going to uh, act like Tucker when I interview the great Emeritus Rex himself. Um, and we'll tr- try to continue, my friends. Hopefully, with your support out there, we can continue programs. They don't come easy. Rabbi Pupko himself, of course, um, uh, takes no compensation Still, we need your help, and we hope that you can be able to uh, provide that. You can uh, sell to 847-239-0159 to support uh, a tax-free donation to keep Emeritus Rex on the air. Take care, my friends. Rabbi, we'll catch you later. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. 
Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.